Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. What if you had no idea how to relate with other people? What if the you who learned to relate with others did so from a necessary but inauthentic seat of being, destined to cause confusion, difficulty, and suffering in your relationships? What if there were a way to embody the soulful you that automatically related with people with ease? These are the questions we explore in today's episode. Thanks for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. This is episode 70-something. That's close enough for podcast work, close enough for government work, whatever the expression is you want to use. Hello, Stace. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. And today we're talking about relationality uh, via the realizations we've been talking about. This particular realization, I believe, is something like you have no idea how to relate with people, which is the best possible place to begin learning how to relate with people. It reminds yes. me of an old fortune cookie Chinese proverb I remember from a kid, the poorest man has the greatest opportunity for wealth. Um, oh, oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, hitting, you, the power of hitting bottom. Yes. <laughs> and uh, on the other side of that similar coin, uh, Jung, uh, I don't know, I, I never re- can hold in my brain the original quote, but the gist of it is, you don't get enlightened by um, seeking the light. You get enlightened by illuminating the darkness. Um, uh-huh. And so uh, he had—he really had the right idea in the sense that you start with—you don't know how to do it. You're looking. You're you're illuminating the darkness. In other words, instead of looking to amp up the light. Um, and so, the more we illuminate the darkness, the more the light will automatically come into focus in the right sequence. Yeah, you know, and it just there's so many rabbit holes right here. It makes me think of one of the principles of adult learning. You know, if you look at any kind of education theories or principles about how to teach adults, one of the top three things they'll say is connect to what they already know. Yeah. yeah. Because with children, you don't have to do that. Children are just tabula rasa sponges who will take in yeah. whatever you give them. But right. with adults, you have to give them the sense that they're already sort of familiar with something <laughs> around this. And we would say, yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> the best orientation you could possibly have to identity is that you don't know shit. And yes. then you would learn quite a bit. But if you try to relate it to your experience, yes. then it will be mm-hmm. inside an in, in unconscious paradigm. And that's where people get really hung up, that they, they think they yeah. know something. Yeah, they don't know how their own uh, worldview of life originates is shaped and stays maintained mm-hmm. uh, so they'll they'll always experience all experience especially a new paradigm through the default by default the, their unconscious paradigm that they most of the time don't know they, they carry so yeah. it's a real hot mess yeah and it's not just people who are new to identity there have been a number of phases where i felt prey to this myself we used to have this saying um uh, can update it a little bit that um uh, t- today's gold is tomorrow's green, or uh, uh, today's uh-huh. authentic soul self is tomorrow's <laughs> protector. There's this yes. <laughs> sense of like, b- because it's very easy for the, um, I mean, I just was saying before we went on air, had a kind of breakthrough a couple of days ago where 
I'm feeling my own soulfulness in, I mean, deepest way I've maybe ever felt, certainly felt in years. And I noticed my protector, the voice of my protector, it's still there, but it's way smaller. And I don't believe that it's me. And I was noticing the temptation to just dismiss it because it's like, oh, it's not an airplane anymore. It's like a mosquito. And yeah. so there was a temptation there to be like, oh, that's not really me. And it's like, wait a minute. I know that if I ignore that mosquito, it'll turn into an airplane again. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. You, Good and point. Um, because the, the the soul would would include everything, so it, it's very very tricky, and we 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 must never allow any um, breakthrough to become some kind of noun state of finality. Oh, yeah, that's for sure, isn't it? Um, but let me let me um, just uh, do a uh, an asterisk on that particular rabbit hole. That uh, for all these centuries that non-religious spiritual teachers um, speak to uh, how to access the divine in everything, um, the terminology they'll use is um, find the God within certain certain um, uh, teachings. Mm -hmm. Find the God within. Don't seek it on the outside. Find it within. And what we're talking, what you just uh, named there. The God within is access to our actual soul, soul, soul being. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that is our root identity and automatically links us up to the God within because the soul doesn't have any um, inhibiti inhibiting dams or seam seams between it and, and uh, divinity. So when the uh, actual golden soul authentic self is accessed you also automatically access the domain of the god within mm -hmm. and so then whatever um beautiful enlightenments or spiritual breakthroughs you had in other lifetimes as other versions of yourself all come forward and are ready to be integrated uh, into uh, the present incarnation you don't have to go seek them they will automatically find you once you've got your own soul voice yeah yeah, for sure. It was something I was actually thinking about some of that recently, how if, you know, when someone is really deeply feeling emotional pain, as long as it's vulnerable to some degree, and as long as the person, the observer isn't triggered, yeah. it, it draws them, it draws you in, right? It's like this, the emotional pain that our protectors avoid between us and us, avoid showing, but it's like, you it, it, like I said, unless you're triggered, you you're just automatically drawn out of love to relate with that person showing that yes. pain. Yes, it draws us in, and 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 it it sort of precipitates relationality because it's on the way, if not already, core emotion. Yes, and God is love. Yes. And love is an emotion. So the emotional realm at the center of the emotive realm at the center of us is yes. where God is in us. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so when we avoid difficult feelings and don't follow them to the realm of emotivity, I mean, we literally could say using the original meaning of sin as a, a, a misstep or a missing the mark, it's a yeah. sin against God to repress emotion. Oh, I don't think I put those particular words in that sequence before. That's beautiful, Joseph. Yes, exactly uh, resonant with our whole way of being and doing things. It, it automatically that happens. Yeah. And against ourselves too, because the soul yes. is a realm of emotion as well. 
And so, yes. yeah, when it, when it, it's just, it's so, I, I use the very vivid metaphor. Maybe I've said it before on the podcast um, before as uh, the vivid metaphor of when you are lying in bed shivering and know you like have food poisoning or the flu and you have to throw up. And there's this sort of process, this negotiation. There's probably like the, the, what are the, the Kubler-Rosses, the stages of, of death? You know, there's like denial and anger and bargaining and all those. Oh, and yes, right. All, all of it is like, that's how we are with emotional pain. Like our protectors yeah. just want to do everything but avoid the center of it. But when we yeah. finally pray to the porcelain God and vomit, it's like in that moment, <laughs> there is liberation. Yes. <laughs> and we think that's going to be the thing that is so awful, but actually what's awful is all of the resistance to it. When you finally yes. get to that place, there's a surrender and you yes. realize that it was inevitable and there was nothing you can do about it and that you just made your life hell by avoiding it for 20 minutes. Well, I must <laughs> congratulate you. I have never heard a metaphor for um, spiritual, actual spirit authentic spiritual access metaphorized into vomiting so yeah congratulations there yeah it's sometimes unpleasant it's unpredictable it's out of our control and it's good for us usually if you <laughs> have to do it it's because it has to happen but it's like i'd prefer this not happen this way and we negotiate yeah. and it's like you know oh yeah. my god i've tried to not sneeze and had to see a chiropractor afterwards uh, because of like yeah. we can really hurt ourselves by not doing what we right. are called to do in the moment. And right. so then there's this, that brings us right to relationality because yes. what's unique about identity is it puts relationality in a spiritual context, not only a personal context. Yes. And that changes right. everything. Oh, amen. So let's, let's zoom out. Let's uh, hook on the back of that thought, that uh, wisdom train there and okay. zoom out just a bit. Uh, and and reiterate that what human beings, all of what um, all of our psychology, philosophy, religions, and spiritual uh, uh, esoter esoteric spiritual teachings, every domain of consciousness is produced and dwelled in by our protector, inauthentic version of self. What everyone calls your normal waking consciousness is up to two-thirds, sometimes a little more percentage, um, a protector version of you that screens out by that very percentage other bandwidths of consciousness that you don't know you're not getting, um, that you, you don't know are there enough to know that you're missing them. So all of psychology, all of therapy on both sides of the couch is done by our, um, our protector versions of selves, all of our philosophy, all of our religious dog dogmas and teachings, all of our spiritual enlightened states are all done by default by our protector version of self by default, unless you can claim you had perfectly emotively balanced and effusive, emotionally mature parenting. I just got this image of a um, uh, an economy made up of... Um... Uh, fabric producers all the way down to like sheep shearing, fabric producers, dry cleaners, garment manufacturers, clothing retailers with a shared goal of getting everyone naked. <laughs> <laughs> like that's yes. the goal. And they're going to use the production of clothing somehow right. to arrive at. If we can just clean them or make them and manufacture them the right way, we'll arrive at nakedness. And that's oh, what we're okay. 
Beautiful. Uh, it, let's best slide over to philosophy that way, uh, that philosophy is using the mind to study the mind, uh, yeah. you, using thinking to um, study thinking. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's a similar thing that Joseph, as you just said, it, it's impossible. It has a really short shelf life of depth and breadth. And so, However, um, postmodern or not, or or classical uh, uh, philosophy, uh, Grecian, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. All of it's done by our default protective version of self. And if that isn't clear, there is the Peter principle for all these other domains, psychology, philosophy, religion, psychology, to ever really get at the deeper modalities of uh the really the both the content and context of the capacities of human consciousness yeah both was, the content and the context whenever i make um sometimes i drink uh you know the green tea powder matcha and oh, yeah. um mm -hmm. the first time i was ever exposed to that was actually in a tea ceremony that an aikido teacher of mine years ago did and you know he'd spent 10 years in japan and did it really beautifully and so whenever i'm using my little whisk to stir it up I think about how like there was a set number of times you're supposed to do the whisk and oh, it's, boy. it's very mindful, right? And like uh -huh. you turn the thing 20 degrees before you pass it to the person next to you. And every time I do that, I kind of laugh because that kind of attentiveness and mindfulness, my attentiveness is better. Um, it's a result of enlightenment. It's not the path to enlightenment. Yes. And so and every paradigm seems to do this. There's this sort of like, they're wanting to, yeah. the, the protector wants to approximate the result without having yeah. to do the actual work to get there. So yes. that's why, oh, right. I'll just use my mental attention to realize I'm not my mind. What, how is that going to work? <laughs> how, how is counting the number of times you whisk doing, going to yeah. realize you're not your thoughts or stop your life? You're just focusing your mind. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, exactly why I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, Joseph. Uh, the term should be mindlessness, not mindfulness. I mean, wait, we're we're trying to get out of being slave to the mental body, right? So how could you use the mental body to get out of itself? This mm -hmm. is a this is a uh, what is they called a um, oh I love that uh, old philosophical term solipsis. Uh, it's it's solipsism. a solipsis solipsism. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, to use the very um, uh, uh, modality of consciousness to change that modality of consciousness. Uh, what did Einstein say? You know, uh, you can't uh, uh, change. Uh, can't solve a problem at the level yeah. of consciousness in which it was created, something like that. Um, as Bree says, Badur. Um, <laughs> it's, very uh, meta for a scientist. Uh, uh, very, very, yes. And so that's why he was only part scientist and why he, he was, uh, he, and he even acknowledged in his later years he was a mystic. Uh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. in all these ways, um, the search for, in our topic today, for um, you don't know how to really relate to people, the, of course, the headline is because you're operating by default to a vast majority is your uh, protector version of self who will always have a conscious or unconscious strategy between you and the object of your relational interest. It will always have a strategy and largely um, to the degree that that, that um, version of you is unconscious to you uh, is the degree that that version of you is a virtually 100% unconscious of its other capacities 
the, a bigger capacity that it has that you don't need spiritual focus to access, just emotional maturity dharma to mm-hmm. access. So in the same way as I was just talking, the way people try to approximate enlightenment by adopting the behavior and sense that an enlightened person would do, it looks the same from 10 feet away, right? And when I'm making the tea, like sometimes I notice myself, like I did it this morning, I was like, oh, I'll count here. Okay, I did it 10 times. And it's like, well, what's actually meant by that? What's like, what's counting as a way to be with the activity so that it's the only thing. And then I did that for a little bit. I was like, oh, that's different. But from 10 feet away, someone being entirely with the whisking of the tea so that nothing else is besides that, and someone counting the number of times they turn the whisk, it looks the same from 10 feet away. It looks the same from 10 inches away. (laughs) Yes. So, But um, the difference in the uptake uh, or in the experience is phenomenal. Yeah. But so it just hit me um, uh, a a way of of a turn of phrase I hadn't thought of before, that like everything else, especially in spirituality, the protector approximates real relationality because it has a sense of what's it we can't because we have soulfulness you can't get rid of it um you know there's usually at least 20 or 30% soulfulness there the protector yes. knows that can intuit how it would be and yes. then tries to sort of reverse engineer what real relationality or what, what real enlightenment <laughs> what real god realization what actual sainthood <laughs> devotionalism would look like and then wears the clothes like we were saying before when it's supposed to be about getting naked so it makes me wonder like how do we approximate relationality and like what's true about how we approximate relationality versus what's actually not true and maybe that would be oh. a door to go in yeah um if I'm understanding you uh, correctly, I am about 75% sure I am, but you'll correct me. Uh, the the um, the I'm okay, you're okay thing uh-huh. is a good door to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. Can you see why? why? Yeah. Well, that's like it's um, because it, real relationality has a, a – uh, it starts at a spiritual level. There's a spiritual acceptance of what is from the other person mm-hmm. because the other person is real and whatever they say and do needs to be accepted as uh, first accepted as yes, that happened and that's where that person is or what they say. And that's one of the ways in which we get the error of unconditional love. Yeah. Um, that like, well, oh, that's what's yeah. real for the other person. So I mm-hmm. should accept it and they're okay and I'm okay. And whatever disagreement I have about that, what should I do with that then? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's an attitude you cop. Um, I'm okay. You're okay. Not a not the end game of an arduous and counterintuitive transmutative path. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that headline. <clears throat> but when you use the energy, the at the uh, end, the um, the headline as the end game, it uh, becomes exactly that solipsistic loop of um, Peter yeah. principle, uh, and is entirely backwards into how the whole. A point of relationality was is intended through our soulfulness to unfold. I think I mentioned oh. in a previous podcast in um, in Japanese the uh, kanji for harmony. Uh, the top part of it it looks like the roof of a house, and the implication is that um, harmony is a result of two forces coming together, finding a mutual third direction. And oh, so nice! In in Aikido, this is taught talked about very often because if if there's 
not sufficient engagement if there's not a sincere attack, which is sort of in quotes, a sincere engagement, a sincere, this is what I want, whether it's, you know, an opinion or a punch, then you can't work with that. You need us, you need to have that energy, that clear energy to work with. And so new people are notoriously bad at giving clear attacks. Like if the person starts to get out of the way, they start to track with their fist, like, no, 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 punch where I am, not where you think I'm going. That's not sincere. And yes. so each person has to have a sincere position to start so that uh, creative conflict can turn into harmony. Yeah. But if you are afraid of conflict, then both people will not engage and then create some kind of false harmony to approximate mm-hmm. what the result is they know they're going to get to, but not go through the messy process that oh, is beautiful. necessary. Yeah. Beautifully said. And as you were just speaking there at the end, I just flashed on this beautiful moment in Kunk on Earth. Uh, oh, yeah, I love that. Uh, th- this crazy, wonderful thing uh, BBC produced. Uh, and uh, she's interviewing um, uh, uh, an expert on historical narratives, and in the, in the, uh, the focus that, that moment was Egypt uh, and uh, the triangles in the desert that uh, are the pyramids. And she asks the es- expert, So, can you finally solve the mystery of the pyramids for us? Was it built from the top down or the bottom up? Uh, <laughs> And that's exactly what we're saying the last 10 minutes or so, Uh um, in the sense that it's, of course, the the expert responds uh, that they were clued in that this was a a joke, uh, a production. I still remember the look on his face with that one, though. (laughs) He literally had no idea what to say for like a second or two. (laughs) Yeah, they they knew it was a a, a comedy and they wouldn't know what she was going to ask. uh, So they had just answer you know exactly what came up for them in that moment it made it beautiful for uh, ad ad lived authenticity yeah ad lived authenticity it's a completely new form of improv in a way exactly (laughs) that's why i love it so much it's really a new form of improv um scripted but not uh yeah only on one side of the coin yeah anyway uh, (laughs) it's so easy to see well you can't build it from the top because you'd have to start in midair. You know, I mean, that's so easy to see, but everything we've been saying, that's exactly what human beings do as uh, the, the inauthentic protector. Oh, when wow. they're trying to intuit the end game, the end yeah. game is to build it from the bottom up. Right. That's and so, uh-huh. yeah. And, and so it's so obvious in the, in the pyramid metaphor, but completely befogged in our natural state of being, and it skews everything. It skews all of our experience to dead ends. And we're not usually bright enough to register when we hit a dead end, oh, I must be doing something wrong, so I'll try a different version of this same uh, dharma uh, or focus. So, oh, yeah. You know, and talk- you know, it's just like, you know, we could talk about um, any number of the uh, uh, flawed um, values and beliefs, like altruism is like, does a a saintly uh, awakened being, do, do they, are they very generous and caring about other people? Yes, they are. Can you use giving to others to get there? No, you can't. <laughs> Is an enlightened person paying very close attention? Yes, they are. Can you use your attention to get enlightened? No, you can't. <laughs> and this, What we're saying here is not it's so far beyond revolutionary because it's literally resolutionary like we said last uh, podcast it changes everything it it throws everything into a jumble that most people even especially theorists and higher order 
um, I was going to say perpetrators, but, but higher order purveyors uh, of, of, of all these uh, ways to advance consciousness fall fall uh, entrapped to and never know they're entrapped or Peter principled right from the start. Yeah. So what does that really mean? Everything we're saying here, we can be a little jovial and jokey about it, but it's a tragedy in another domain because what, what your language is so perfect as the next step here, doorway, Joseph, is what does it really mean to be naked, naked in relationality? What does that mean? It, it means in the biggest sense, um, to relate from your soul being to the other person's soul being. Mm -hmm. And if one person is able to relate to the, uh, to, uh, from, from their soul being um, to, uh, uh, to a person who doesn't do relationality from their soul being, there's an immediate um, limit in depth and breadth of relationality index between the two, it's like a, a a light bulb on a on the dial. What do they call that? Where you can dim and and dark. Rheostat. Rheostat. Right. Uh, you're you're uh, to, depending on the domain of, of relationality or the bandwidth of it. Uh, only only a, a, someone coming doing relationality, starting with their naked soul, with another person starting with their naked soul, uh, um, is actually naked. That's what we mean by what Joseph said earlier is naked to naked, meaning 99.9% .9 of our, or I probably goes out to about 20 decimal points there, 0.99.9, whatever, <laughs> uh, is all relationality is being done by our protectors with each other. Hmm. And they're either co-signing, isolate, uh, co-signing, repelled, or fighting each other in some nonviolent way. Uh, there's miscues and interpretations because the value system of the um, of the protector of one person may define integrity one way, and the other person uh, coming from their protector might define it in another. And then they're going to be accepting and a spiritual is going, well, I accept that uh, your view here is a different than mine. I, I, I respect you for that. Uh, and they try to ac accept their way to some sort of commonality. And every, every bit of that, it, it's, for me, it's like uh, white, it's like noise, like um, fingernails on a scratch board as they appear to dance the dance of relationality when they're just already have an unconscious end game in mind that I'm going to be my whole self and try to re and try to reach the whole self of the other and we won't be stopped by inconsistencies and irregularities and dissonances we just don't we won't be stopped that's the agenda and all it does is create echoes of echoes mm. and and that's why sometimes it's hard for me to I, well, it's almost impossible for me to watch talking heads on a panel on TV you because you can't feel them. No, yeah. no, they're it's and it's it's too simple to say. Well, they're all in their heads. That that that's true, but that's not really the reason why it's so difficult uh, to bear for me personally. Is because they're all exchanging either either uh, pro to pro, anti to pro, or anti to anti with each other, yeah. and it's predictable. It's predictable when you see the ping pong ball go back and forth between these different consciousnesses of of the persons of these people's protectors, because they're all clothed and don't know that they are with their own agenda for the outcome that's mostly unconscious.
Yep. And yeah, and as a sequelae to that, they're um, they they there there's a facade sometimes of not knowing, but they've already made their minds up. There's not a yes. there's not a real wondering. There's not a sincere good faith desire to find that third direction. I've also been yeah. losing the ability to listen to the talking heads, even though I like to stay abreast of what's going on in the world. And um, but it hurts more and more to listen yeah. to you know, yeah. flawed paradigms competing with each, with each other for who will be victorious and not work. You know, it's like, yes, who, will, oh, that's beautifully said, who will be victorious, not which one is actually more consistent with natural human consciousness. Yeah. What, uh, we don't use the word right and wrong here. What's resonant with our natural, yeah. most natural and, and emotionally mature form of consciousness? That's that's all we, we talk about in identity. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, uh, if we're talking about why this realization can be so alarming to people or not understood at all, is that you don't have a clue how to relate to people while you're relating to people as your default um, uh, protector version of self. And as we've said in other podcasts, we honor the protector uh, for why it had to be um, born in the first place, because we didn't get emotional soulful food from uh, uh, um, our, our parenting. And I, again, I, I'm careful to use that word now, emotively immature parenting not emotively mature parents. Mm-hmm. It's uh, they are you, only emotively immature parents can do emotively immature parenting. But it, this is not about blaming uh, the parents, but it is about holding them responsible, as we both talked yeah. about extensively here. And in that sense, unless you can claim uh, you had a basically a ninety-five to one hundred percent emotively mature parenting, then you will by default not know how to relate to people. You'll be related to a wound-based and a wound-based and control-based version of yourself that you had to become um, in order to survive in childhood. Because our emotionally mature parenting has forgotten that children process reality radically different than adults do. And so they think that a, a verbal I love you or a hug or some sort of uh, exposition of affection is what children need. And that's well, and there's a yeah. good example. I love you as an approximation. Like, I know I'm supposed to be having a deep, emotional, loving sensation here that somehow crosses the space to this other being in such a way that they can feel it. We yes. intuit, we intuitively know that, right? So, we and most people think if they just say I love you uh, uh, enough and are generally kind, that that means right. love is moving across the space. and. And if they just do that enough, then they're being loving. And yes. unfortunately, that isn't true. And that's why oh, it's so well said, because that's why uh, it falls through the cracks of a, of a mesh net of way too wide of, of a grid uh, for uh, therapists of most ilks. Uh, yeah. do not recognize, well, if they had these basic things that you just described in childhood, well, you're from a good home, and then it becomes inexplicable why the offspring get into drugs or into self-destruction or into smoking, which is um, a, 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 an unconscious suicide uh, attempt, if you do do a lot of it, uh, and it, it was cigarettes are 
Well, they were engineered to utilize, to take advantage of the suck reflex uh, uh, from mama's nipple. Just um, like soda straws. Oh, God, yes, which is why I never liked straws, and I didn't know why. I, <laughs> I, you know what I thought? I thought I didn't like straws because I, it always requires air to go into my stomach before the liquid gets there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that I always I'm so sensitive that I just burp like crazy when I use a, a straw, uh -huh. and when I add my own deviated septum that I only have half a half a, 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 a half a nasal passage. I've only got yeah. one instead of two. Uh, I'm constantly mouth breathing while I uh -huh. eat, and then I'm swallowing oh. air while I. Oh eat. no! Yeah, you don't need any more air. Then. No. <laughs> no, right? You're not in the target so, market for straws for sure. No, that's right. So the point we're on here is that. Um, where where we children as you said right when we opened up today they um they're sponges and they don't process reality mental first or will first they process reality feeling first emotively first and the parents have forgotten how to do that because um their parents didn't do it for them and there's all blah 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 all the way back from the beginning so we make the audacious statement uh, that no one in the history of our species has ever had sufficiently ample emotionally mature parenting and that's the missing piece that changes everything and how normal human consciousness is defined because the normal human consciousness module is our protectors module not our our, our expanded consciousness module so well, related to this uh one thing that i've done i've told my mother at least a couple of times uh i don't think many more than that that um, when she would say, I love you, I would just say kind of sadly, like, yeah, I can't really feel that um, because that's actually my experience. And I think that's a good thing for anyone in our audience to consider, you know, because we have this uh, societally agreed upon approximation thing that if you say you love someone, then love, then that's love and love moves. But, you know, especially for from parents to adult children, when when your parents yes. say, I love you, do you actually experience that? Do you actually experience that? Or do you experience it a little bit? Do you experience not at all? And are you replacing the lack of experience that may be there with a belief? Yes. Which is where religion's belief system comes on. Like, <laughs> yes. oh, I don't feel God's love, but I believe in it. And right. the belief in that that's there makes me feel better. Well, yeah. hold on a second. Do, do you feel the love from God directly? No, but I believe in it. And that feels great. Really, hold on a second. Go back. Wait, no, don't go any further. You're, 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 you're threatening my faith. Yeah, Wait. exactly. Yeah, the faith oh. that if I did one day experience the love of God, then it would feel really good. And I'm so excited for that day. It's almost as if I feel it right now. Yeah, are you doing that with your parents too? Like, do you really yeah. feel that love? Yeah. Because that, and and I don't, I wouldn't say to everyone that um, you know that uh, I'm not asserting that they they're not experiencing any love from their parents, but right. I don't. I like, I literally don't. Um, and I think I know some people who really do, and I've seen it and felt it that there is some amount of love moving between um, the parents and the kids. But for whatever reason, with my parents, like I just don't feel it. It's like. A barely yeah. a dripping faucet but yeah. i have a high octane requirement <laughs> much higher <laughs> octane. yeah you were driven given water when you needed rocket fuel uh yeah. for for that yeah and you know what bothers what would which what, what i contract like um, fingernails on a chalkboard too is love you 
as someone's leaving the house or love you, love you, love you. Yeah. Uh, that's that as a, as a one-off um, in exactly that domain that is supposed to transmit actually the, the actual essence of our being in a one-off that's said while you're, you're doing something else, yelling to the other room as your husband or wife goes off to work. Love you. Yeah. Um, it's I, like, I'm, I'm attempting to express my part of that, which is behind all things and of which all things are made and my yeah. deepest emotive connection to you. And I'll say it to you without looking at you on my way out the door. <laughs> yes. It doesn't oh, quite God. match up. Oh, you, you laugh or otherwise you have to cry, you know? Uh, and and what I feel like this is nagging me for a moment. So I'll get it cleared here is everything we're saying applies to mid to older souls. Um, everything we're saying here, the, the 70% of the planet that is young, made up of younger souls, um, this is what we're talking about does not apply. They're still so young in experience that there's no um, uh, differentiability between their soul self and their, um, their uh, protector self. Uh, yeah. they, do they have protector selves? Sure. But, but usually the food that a young soul needs from a younger, a resonantly younger parent is one-on-one -on -one or maybe, you know, 8.8 uh, .8 to one or something. Uh, it's sufficient. Uh, it's it's it just like uh, younger children uh, uh, process reality with other children in a way of playfulness that an adult, if they try to do it, it just looks awkward and strategic, yeah. right? So... Uh, the, yeah, and the, it's the, not um, it's not a better or worse thing because, right, like, when right. I work with younger or more dense souls than average, what I am delighted to find is that mental, energetic, and behavioral changes yeah. actually work for them. Yes, they do de decently. They do. Um, right. Whereas for older and more porous souls, they either can't do it or they do it and it doesn't really work because they're, right. you know, it's just like if you can teach a five-year-old how to throw a ball five feet, you know, they're going to impress their friends the next day and mm -hmm. maybe be a pitcher on their little league team. But like in the major leagues, like that's just not enough. And <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. This is, there's no, again, we say in a, from a different dimension, there's no elitism in this. Um, there's no value differential here. A younger soul, a younger child is just as real and authentic, uh, or I say it this way, just as real and appropriate as uh, as an older soul. Uh, and an older soul is just as real and appropriate. But there are different modalities of change uh, and values that uh, are not transferable with from to older from older children's souls to younger children or souls. You just don't expect a 10-year-old to have an adult value system. So there's there's no elitism in this. I've got I've I haven't experienced that much in the last 15 years or so, but when I first started out, boy, I was really um, broached with a lot of elitism. Uh, Oh, so uh, you, you you invent a soul species system where you're at the top of the heap, an angel soul, right? Uh, yeah. Isn't that convenient? Isn't yeah, that right. convenient, right? Well, how do you, <laughs> I mean, how, how do you get that across? I just have this bizarre memory. memory. I, I wish I could understand what it is they were thinking, but I remember I was in third, fourth, or fifth grade, somewhere in there, maybe fourth or fifth, when 
we were mysteriously in small groups of three people, I think separated by uh, sex or gender or whatever, however you're supposed to say it these days. Um, uh, similar pronouns, <laughs> homogenous pronouns. We were brought to the nurse's office. And I remember being in this very weird um, conversation where, among other things, the nurse told us that uh, when we were going to middle school soon and we weren't interested in girls now, but boys, mm -hmm. soon would we be going really crazy about them? And I remember being like, "What is she talking about? I'm not interested in girls at all." Like, I, I remember, and I remember her specifically asking, "Does anybody know about the four bases?" Right? Like, what? I I remember this really strange and, and, and kind of and inappropriate. How, and how old were you? Less than ten, because I was it was wow. elementary school, so it was wow. 10, 11 tops. Wow. And 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 I didn't wow. know anything about the bases, but one of my friends did, and he like named a few of them, and it was like some sort of like you know public school program to like get a sense of where kids are in relationship to sex, I guess. But I remember just feeling really strange and um, confused. But it's it's a weird story, but um, about how adults can't reach kids in many ways. But um, but but how do you how do you tell a ten year old? that mm -hmm. they may be interested in sexual things with you know the same or other gender in ways they've never experienced before and so that's mm -hmm. what we're saying like we're saying in an objective way that yeah. the evolution of the soul is like you're gonna have to deal with these things it's not subjective and it's not really up to you yes the yes. same way we would say to a six-year-old one day you're gonna want to have kids and have a family and they're gonna be like what i want candy you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I want candy and less homework. And we're going to say, well, that's how it is now, but you're going to find things change. Yeah, well, screw you. you know? yeah. And then it's, it's impossible to get that across. Yeah. So let's bookmark this, uh, this piece of the conversation uh, in support of uh, a basic uh, teaching of identity, offering of identity. I'm using the word offering these days, not teaching. Um, yeah. Feels more yin to me uh, mm -hmm. in these days. And that is that uh, when, oh, I just lost my train of thought. It derailed. Uh, tell me what you were just talking You'll about. You'll get no help kids. from me. I'm still back no. in the nurse's <laughs> office in some ways processing how weird that was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, just, it just flitted there um, for a moment. Um, oh, God. It was Older a great souls, point. offerings, evolution of consciousness. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in that domain. Um, Oh, I've lost it. I, if it's if it's right for the conversation, it'll come back. I always have sure. faith in that. But the, basically, if we zoom out a little bit from that conversation, again, we're saying that. Um, uh, oh, and now I got it. See, right there, there it was. It always works. Uh, uh, we've said many other times, but here's another doorway to say that our um, identity was, without me knowing it ahead of time, was engineered. Uh, and as it unfolded, I, I realized this. It was it was to serve older souls, not mm -hmm. because older souls are, are are better than younger souls, but because they're underserved in the way, exactly the way we've been talking about. It's just regular psychology, philosophy, religion, and many forms of enlightened Eastern esotericism are going to simply be um, uh, uh, not going to work for older souls in all the dharmas that are associated with those trans, transformational paths. Mm -hmm. So 
we're, I just I just made made something originally um, uh, worked with something or unfolded something that's for a, a, a group that has been underserved by virtually every domain of um, human activity. Uh, how is it um, uh, not not a how does a, a gym rat let's say uh, an older soul would never become a gym rat. Might they, when they're younger in their years, would they get for a short I was period of time? I certainly was. Certainly, mm-hmm. and I was an athlete and a and a, a karate guy, um, uh, and so all that. Sure, but but when you make the body an object to this extra degree, same thing with extreme sports uh, uh, folks, Olympians, and all that. Most Olympians are younger souls still needing to prove to themselves that. They are worthy of something because they can attain some sort of physical acme of, uh, of attainment. So please hear with listeners, um, it, as Joseph said earlier, uh, mental, energetic, and uh, in- intentional kinds of affirmational work work for younger souls. And they need and they need to be honored for that. We're not work criticizing. Better. Sorry? They work better. I don't they know if they better. really work. Yeah, it just depends on it might, it might they might work perfectly if it's the second lifetime, but not mm-hmm. if it's their hundredth lifetime, right? Yeah, uh, it's all a range. So in that sense, um, uh, we're just offering something that the majority of people on the planet um, aren't are quite ready for, and that's not elitism. That's just a simple, humble fact, and we don't claim to be it for anything else. So. We're just trying to serve an underserved demographic. That's all. Uh, a consciousness demographic that's been underserved. So, where, where did this all lead to here? We don't know how to relate to people. Um, again, because we're operating out of our protective version of self um, and not our soul version of self. So, how, how to relate to um, the only way to really relate naked to naked is to slowly and with honor and respect deconstruct the behaviors, attitudes, and energies of the protective self without dishonoring its reason for being. Mm-hmm. That's the tricky line. Uh, where, where do you um, n- need to start changing some behaviors uh, to get to the next step in your work? Not till later, that's for sure. There has to be a long baking uh, deconstruction process that it builds trust uh, of this topic today. Are, are all of our wounds that the protector contracted out of the soul field to, um, to protect, uh, all those wounds are in relational space. We're conceived mm-hmm. and, and developed in relational space with mom and dad and your, your family at large. They were the original templates of what human relationality is. And whether you know it or not, Priyus <laughs> loves to say this all the time, um, that in her, uh, her conscious attempt to not be like how her mother raised her, in a, a couple of domains, she raised her child just like her mother did. Mm-hmm. You can't make a mental, um, uh, uh, willful picture and say, I'm going to do differently than our parents because the template for relationality and parenting relationality also, like we just said, um, is all in us unconsciously. And we don't know what's outside the box of our experience. So that's why it's so takes it's a long time to bake mm-hmm. a new relational model for mm-hmm. the sake of the, the um, uh, protective self 
in service of inducing the soul self forward with each step, each small step. Yeah, which if we had been raised by perfect parents, then the the relational space would have been perfect and elicited our souls forth. But yes. because the relational space is problematic, we right. recreate those problematic relational spaces as adults. Yeah. And that's what, so when we're triggered in relationship to someone, that's how it's a breadcrumb trail back to the original problematic uh, relational space with our parents. Yes. Because that's the, 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 the wounds were created in relational space. So they get triggered in relational space. And right. so identity sees the relational spaces um, uh, for adults as the sort of proving ground for that's what we said i think it was just the last time right that uh intimacy the primary point is to work yes. out your childhood wounds and if that's yes. not your primary point then by definition then then your protector is trying to negotiate and approximate relationality rather yes. than going back in time and healing why it didn't work out in the first place that's why that's so important Oh, God, yes. And uh, now I, here's my turn to share a recent experience I had um, uh, that was literally changed the vector of my arc uh, on this planet. The tender age will be 72 on Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I had the uh, direct experience. Um, usually we put hate and love at opposite ends of the emotional spectrum, right? And that's true. That's but again, in a commonly used metaphor in identity, two people standing back to back at the equator um, are twenty five thousand miles away from each other in the front and back to back in the back in the same moment. So let's say that hate, uh, the love is um, the, uh, the the big twenty five thousand miles. Hate is not its opposite. It's its it's its co component. You can't hate anything that you don't value or love really deeply. The degree you hate injustice is because you love justice. It's really, it's one-on-one. At any rate, that simple um, thing that for most people and myself included until this moment, uh, uh, I would have ascribed hate to my my, uh, protector self and love to my um, soul self, to to me, uh, generally. Uh, and I would use a different, I'd, we'd use anger or frustration or exasperation or something. But I was triggered recently into really, I had the simultaneous experience of hate, hating and loving as one gestalt. Mm-hmm. I hated and love an aspect of my beloved. And I saw that it was 100% resonant with the hatred and love that I had with my mother I love my mother, and I hated what, what uh, so many aspects of her. And at and the next moment, I saw that I had a hate love with divine being mm-hmm. that I covered over with positivity and gratitude and access to all that yeah. is. And I could hear the voice of the divine. And very a lot of times, dozens and dozens of times, I've been absolutely rageful against divine being. Uh, in some moment where I thought it tricked me, uh, mm. and uh, uh, and this time though it wasn't rage, it was hate. And I never let myself feel the hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I let myself feel the hate, hate with my mother, 
and the love, but they were in separate categories. I've hated some mm-hmm. some some aspects of my beloved who I drew to me because it's supposed to recapitulate childhood, my mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I never had them together, Joseph. And so I had, not only did I have hate and They have to be together in order to heal how they were together in your mother. And exactly. God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so I, I, I pieced that together over about 10 hours. And then at the end of 10 hours, all three resonated with each other. All three resonated. I, I had to work it getting them, you know, in themselves. Oh, I, I spat out such, such uh, vituperation at divine being who at this point in time, not uncoincidentally, is the, is the divine yin right. uh, of, divine, of, of, of divine being. And so I had a triple uh, a trigger mechanism that was medicated over and from the spiritual end all the way down to the medications I have worked out in me no longer allowed me to not be able to hate this aspects, these aspects of my beloved that matched one-on-one with my mother, only was hidden when we first met. Um, yeah, as it almost it always, always is. is. Always <laughs> right? is. So and what happened then, Joseph, last piece here, um, in that way I healed um, my relationship with my, I made space to heal with my relationship with my triggerability with my wife's aspects that trigger me. I made peace with some of them. I made peace with my mother's uh, and I made peace with divine being. They all went up and all of a sudden, and I got help with this from uh, another uh, EBE uh, person. Um, I saw that, that um, I, I met it. There was an, an authority of divine being. There was an authority of my mother and an authority with my beloved that while I was resisting the healing arc on each one of them, I, I really could not find my own self-authority. Mm-hmm. And so when those lined up, those three lined up, I thought, okay, this is beautiful. And then the next moment, it dropped into me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was a shiny golden globe in my third chakra. What the hell is this? It was an ownership and an experience of my sacred, innate human self. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned to you the other day in another conversation uh, yeah. about um, about how finding um, uh, uh, your, oh, I just lost my train again. Um, we had a conversation about what some piece of, oh yeah, how there's sacredness. I'm, I'm finishing up an article on it, how the, sa- the sanctity of duality that, mm. that uh, uh, as a dualistic being, I was sacred. Mm. And I, there was a piece of my soul being that had been unavailable while I was snagged up in these other three hate Yes, sure. I domains. mean, how you were born, how could that not happen? Yeah. How could it not happen? So the bottom line here is the, um, the integration of hate and love is the end game. And I, and I hope to talk more about that uh, I'm just starting to be able to talk about it. Of course, it's really clear to you and I what we mean, and you can intuit what how important that is. But but that that modality of healing, uh, whatever the domain, the hate love things, got to be integrated into one gestalt to ever move to the final pieces. Uh, it doesn't have to in the middle pieces. Or the hate and love pieces. is sort of like the ultimate false duality somehow. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Blood has no opposites. 
Right. And There's like no the most opposite we can come up with. Yeah. From love is hate. And so it seems like that would be the hardest thing to de-dualize. Exactly. In, right. in the realm of person. In, in the realm of per person, you could transcend it easy yeah. uh, in, in sagehood. Right. But uh, uh, in, in that way, what you just said um, about say the thing again, because I, I want to catch my dualizing that love and hate seem to be the most. Yeah. Opposite. Yeah. Uh, remember in the 60s and 70s, it stopped being love and hate in the basics of ABCs of religion. It became love and fear uh, mm -hmm. in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Remember, fear is the opposite of love. Mm -hmm. a, a great goofy movie called Donnie Darko. Uh, oh, yeah. And Donnie Darko, which has the best song in the history of consciousness that describes a chill, a child's uh, pain in that uh, um, mad world. It's a mad world that comes at the la closing credits. Yeah, of it's a mad world about uh, uh, the ch children getting not enough food from parents, mom, dad, from my teacher. Won't you tell me what I need for my life? You know, and, uh, beautiful. In Donnie Darko, there's a, there's a teacher, a uh, guru, who, um, who puts love and fear in the opposite uh, poles of human consciousness. And he, enter, he, he attitudinally, you can move from fear to love. All you have to do is choose it, you see. And this is really clearly expostulated in this film. And the fear is not the opposite of love. We wouldn't say that either. Fear limits love, but you wouldn't say a dam is the opposite of a river. It's a contraction uh, it, from love. Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. a, just it's just an inhibitor of it, mm -hmm. not its opposite. Love has no dualistic opposite, and that's where the East got a little off track, or you could say mm -hmm. a lot off track, because there's no opposite to non-duality. So uh, they were on the right track yeah. but it hit it hit a it hit a ceiling there yeah i like to say a, a a knot in a hose that limits its flow the knot in the hose is still the hose yes it's still the hose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. exactly so uh when we're talking about relationality um being naked it also this is the, la the last piece i wanted to cover today about it is that it also it doesn't just mean relationality with others it remain. Mm -hmm. It also is reflexively about relationship with yourself, which I just detailed in my own recent experience here uh, of the integration of the three hate love gestalts uh, that mm -hmm. dropped me into my my uh, another version of my soul uh, uh, strength, not my power strength, my soul strength. So how do you how do you go naked with yourself? Well. Uh, that's already, yeah <laughs> that that is uh that is already baked into the ebe process the emotional uh the emotive body uh, and soul emotional body and soul uh, uh dharma because we hold uh, an ebe and solar will hold a mirror up to you and slowly help you make the distinction between your your um the belief systems and energies uh and attachments of the um in, in inherent attachments to our uh our um, our protector self and your soul self. So we right from the beginning is baked into the Dharma, a, a, a into me I see, into you I see, but also into me I see. We put you in touch in relational space with yourself that is impossible while you think your own the whole you is this protector self. So and this is why there's no um, oh, we don't work on couplehood in no. uh, EBE, which is no. a hard thing for people to understand. I just had someone right. today saying, oh, you do couples work? And it's sort of like, well, um, 
I mean, I can, but it's like there's so much working on the, you know, compassion communication or helping people to negotiate and like, yeah, I'll do something. I mean, I just heard Adam Carolla talking about this recently. It was Drew, Dr. Drew, who's his partner in crime saying, yeah, you know, it's just how <laughs> couples work. It's like sometimes you do something for your partner that you don't want to do. And sometimes they do something for you that they don't want to do. And I was just like, oh, shit. Oh, like, oh, God, it, just, yeah. it hurt. It made me wince yeah. because it was yeah. just the... Yeah the way in which he said it so a matter of factly like yeah that's just what being a grown-up is sometimes you do things you don't want to do but wait that would be you wanting to do something you don't want to do right in order to get something so it's not actually altruistic so and then the whole thing falls apart like a house of cards you can't do something you don't want to do you can't so, well, so why are you doing it right uh, if you haven't got this after this is our 76th podcast i think uh, yeah if uh so. if you haven't got it by now one of identity's core core principles uh in the ebe process is that it is impossible to be selfless there's always an agenda somewhere in you unconscious to you so that's why altruism and unconditional love are impossible they're illusory states universal love that's that's what um uh uh that's the uh, truth behind unconditional there's love. a truth behind it of universal love but the immature form of of, of uh, universal love is unconditional love so in that sense um you cannot um ever say that you're giving not to get it's it, you can't say that relationship is not a transaction that's out there a lot these days i in the last couple of years real oh, yeah, no agenda. Not, there's there's is a, there's it does not a transaction it's not a uh, you, we both give each other something positive or negative everything's a transaction and this goes against a lot of modern philosophical and psychological and spiritual yeah. points of view I, these days i did an enneagram training for a group recently and who was amidst i did three hours of their like two day plus retreat and they started out someone was said sort of setting up my segment of it and said you know what they've been up to and he, he said they that we've come together without an agenda and i had to stop <laughs> myself from laughing it was just about to go on i literally almost like uh, part of me just wanted to pounce on that and be like, God damn it, you can't do that. It's impossible. Because <laughs> Not having an agenda is an agenda, even right, if you're able they to have do an it. agenda of no agenda. I mean, uh, th this is beyond, this should be an eighth grade um, uh, equation that is, is addressed in eighth grade, literally, that you, you can't not have an agenda which renders. The solution to original sin, unconditional love, completely bogus. Uh, right, because it can't be done. Yeah. No, it, it can't. There, there's, there, you can't be selfless. It's impossible. Oh, this person was so egoless. Right, mm. but Jesus was a really generous guy and, you uh -huh. know, turned the other cheek and was very sweet almost all of the time. So if I act like him, then maybe God will love me too and I'll go to heaven. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that make sense? That, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, well you just, be. you just, you just, <laughs> well, I um, uh, snort at that one. Uh, Maybe if I count don't... how many times I stir my tea, I'll get enlightened. I won't have to <laughs> meditate for 20 years. Uh, I'd like to, you just created a, a minor um, uh, rabbit hole that I have to go down now because okay. it's a big part of relational, spiritual relational guidance, turn the other cheek. I have, mm. I have to just say a few words about that. Please, what did yeah. Yeshua really mean? Did he mean, turn the other cheek to be struck again 
that that's what that's what a lot of people either consciously or unconsciously interpret that. Uh, the other one is to have a pause before you react. Um, turn the other cheek. Take the time to turn the other cheek for, away from defensivity to curiosity. For example, that would mm-hmm. be pretty high order. But that's not what he meant. Identity offers. What what he meant is turn the other cheek means instead of an eye for an eye for a tooth for the tooth and striking back, turn the other cheek means why didn't I see that coming? Mm-hmm. That's the real uh, deep meta teaching behind those simple phrases. Why didn't if, if someone clubs me in the head, uh, my first reaction is how. How, where was I blind that didn't see the club coming? What, what, what wasn't I attentive to? What didn't I see in my immediate um, uh, uh, vicinity of my being? So what he means by that, what he meant by that is take it back to yourself instead of blaming the other person. That's not blaming the victim yourself of getting clubbed in the head. It's not a case of blaming the victim. It's about taking responsibility as to why you didn't see it coming. How can you get married if you're if you're really transacting soul to soul with your partner? How can you not see after a long time, after a good good share of years with them, that that uh, how could you not see that they have the capacity for an affair? So mm. many people are just shocked at that. Uh, this is not the man I married. Oh yes, it <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, it not the was. man I intended to marry consciously. Right? Yeah. Why? Why didn't you see it coming? I just brought that in as a rubber meets the road thing. Why didn't you see that coming? Because you're doing a relationship with with hidden agendas that aren't representative of your core authentic self. So most affairs are simply um, trying to get around dead ends in your relationship and have a different, ex- have an older, a different experience. They're not resolutional. Um, once in a while, someone has an affair with someone who tends to be their soulmate for the whole rest of their lives. Yeah, but that's that's way more the exception than the rule. Mm-hmm. So in terms of relationality, uh, yeah, what can uh, we say about it? You know, this is it's. It's so hard to talk about something that organically arises in the moment and can't be pre-planned. It's, yeah. I mean, what is relationality is like answering the question, what is enlightenment? It's like you could say a lot about it and none of it would really be it. Yeah. Um, so we have talked a fair amount about what it's not. It's not about compromise. It's not about um, negotiating behaviors. It's not about uh, linguistic manipulation, <laughs> the, a la nonviolent <laughs> communication, it's right. not about uh, trading an intentionality or um, mm-hmm. uh, co-manifesting plans or anything like that. So um, w- what could we say about what it is? Well, what, what's identity's definition of relationality, you know? Two what or more people negotiating reality. Negotiating. But we, need, we don't have a word for it. Negotiating, it's not the best word. We don't have a word for what soul soulfully feeling through what the moment calls for at the truest levels of truth that's what we mean by negotiating it's not like i'll give you this if you give me that no no that's right yeah negotiation is uh, approximates it but it's an emoto soulful exploration of reality with one one or more other people that's it. Emoto soulful exploration. You have to engage something besides your strategic um, uh, version of, of your protector self. So uh, that's the ideal. And to the degree that you're negotiating reality, 
um, uh, um, uh, protector to protector is not what we mean. That would all be what you just said before, uh, mm -hmm. all those different domains. We're talking about shaking loose of the necessary because it allowed us to survive to this moment, uh, um, uh, learning to differentiate your soul consciousness from your protector consciousness who have very different agenda. The soul's agenda is to unfold and it does not apologize for that that um, agenda to unfold free, freefully with um, with uh, what my interaction of my consciousness with re with outer outer reality unfolds me to. That's its prime directive, the soul. Whereas um, the the uh, uh, the protector self, I used to use this phrase a lot, um, is like a monkey running around trying to get all the bananas. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and that's not a criticism of why they had to form, but that's yeah. down line what they turn into. They're always seeking to uh, gainfully gain advantage, yeah. get something uh, without having to give away too much of something else. It's always in that in that in that zone. Because it's divorced from spirit. There's there's no sense of we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. Not at the, not at a root level. And uh, it just occurs to me too, Joseph. Uh, I'd just like to re revisit for a moment, a really short moment. Uh, do you do we do couple uh, uh, couple uh, relationality? Yeah, we should say be more specific about that. Just just a little bit more about that. I'm I'm doing that with a couple right now um, for one reason and one reason only. It has a shelf life, and that is they can't go vertical while they're busy sparring um, or being satisfied horizontally in the relationship, they can't dip into their own, uh, they're, too, they're too distracted by this. So I'm, I'm literally plowing a, a field that I had not plowed before in, in a, that conscious way with them to, to be able to read out the minimum of couple reflections. Uh, I can give uh -huh. that a couple based reflections to minimize the distraction factor to help them get more vertical. But that's that's a different view than the, it's an end. Make, it's a means to an end. Making the marriage work. Yeah, we would yes. never say that. No, that means relationality is the end. And a relational space of a couple is the end and not a well, means. And there right. it is again. There's the approximation. Like, how do we make the marriage work? How do we make the relationship work? That's mm -hmm. what you want to get to. And when your own relationality wounds from childhood are healed, you'll be able to do that. No, 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 I don't want to do that. How do I make the marriage work <laughs> first? How do I get stirring tea to make me enlightened? How do I make being generous to lead me to God? Oh, oh stop, stop. <laughs> oh, God, right, exactly. So there has to be an undermining of strategy to become mm -hmm. naked. Uh, another way yeah. to say everything we've been saying. And that goes all the way down to the unconscious. Uh, EBE track, the personhood track, uses no hypnosis, no transcendence. You both psychologically and spiritually mature by learning to emotively differentiate between you and your uh, protective version of self. Yeah, something I want to say here that I, I said to you off air, I don't know, sometime in the last week where I was telling you about, um, for the first time, I listened to an entire one of our podcasts. Oh, yes. Oh, good call. A, yeah, thank In a, a fit of dissatisfaction about uh, infotainment in the world. I was like, 
I just want an identity type podcast. Fuck it. I'll listen to my own damn podcast and see if, you know, I thought it would be annoying and I would be self-conscious and I was completely surprised that I really enjoyed it. And, and yeah. And it sounded like, I can't say it sounded like someone other than me that was in it. It just, uh, it, it was enough different than me that I could listen and then the more I listened, the more, and I started to see the connections, quote, I was making. And as I told you, I saw, I could, from this little bit of distance, I saw like, oh, I'm making connect connections because of the relationality I have with Stace. Like the me that's called forth in relationship with you is different than for the most part or often um, than the, the me who's by myself or talking to someone else. And there's something really magical about relationality with that. And mm-hmm. what that requires, it from, from my perspective, is I have to be able to let you in. And my ego boundaries can't be overly hard. I have to be able to let you into me, just like the um, two forces coming together to meet a third direction. Mm-hmm. Sort of like that, you elicit out of me different things than I would be with someone else or by myself. And there's something mm-hmm. about relationality to me that it's like, there has to be an openness to explore that. We, we can't have too concretized an identity. We have to be willing to see what the other person can elicit uh, out of us because there's that's what happens in the relational space is where one plus one equals three and something new happens. Oh, a side of myself I didn't realize or I didn't realize that impacted you. And oh, I guess what you mean. I guess I get what you mean. So we can find out about um, wound-based aspects of ourselves through reflection, but it can also go the other way. We can also discover gifts that we have, which yes. you know, has been doing for me immensely for many, many years. I mean, when I think about who I would be without you, Stace, like who who I would think I was, I'm I'm several times unrecognizable to myself since I was I met you when I was 28, 29. And sometimes I still get these meta kind of views of like, I have a fairly abiding relationship with God. Like how the hell did that happen? I don't think that would have happened without you because I was really quite against it. I was a pretty staunch, almost atheist when I met you. And Mm -hmm. you elicited that out of me. You didn't put it into me. No, no, because it was already happening in your soul uh, version of consciousness that wasn't available to you at that time. And so it it speaks to like, this can happen in any kind of relationality, but especially Mm -hmm. in the the relationship that an EBE in soul mentor has with the in soul mentee is a special kind of relationality where we try to elicit the soul using our soul we try to elicit yes. the soul out of the person yes. by com- completely accepting not only the soul but everything and how it's how and why it's reasonable as well yes and so it's as close to unconditional relating as i think there is yeah it's a we, of course we have a term metaconditional yes uh, metaconditional yeah. that is a reality for us uh, there is metaconditional where you choose consciously to um to deliver something or receive something that uh, may be d- uncomfortable for you uh, yourself so you go metaconditional uh uh but you do it consciously Unco- unconditional love 
is got so many unconscious dead ends in it uh, that you're not aware of those those dead ends of unconditional because this is the world of conditions, just at the level of the language. Nothing is unconditioned. <laughs> your your beautiful drapes hanging on your window are conditioned into uh, an tropics entrop- and by entropy into faded states by sunlight Very at some much. point. <laughs> if they're not, if they're not. Yeah, if they're not batiked uh, in a certain way, yeah. right? So everything's conditioned and conditionable. Unconditional love is uh, uh, really um, has no referent in the human condition of consciousness. You know, and I just I just made another connection because I'm realizing more and more this is what happens for me when I talk with you. I make connections I don't didn't make before. It's a function of our relationality. But the what an what an EBE and soul mentor is is doing is is um, uh, remediating what the parent the parent is supposed to, because children can't experience themselves very well, especially the younger they are, the less they can, because they're completely unselfconscious. And so it's by feeling the soul of the child, a parent is supposed to help it blossom and be manifest. Yes. And the, to the degree that doesn't happen, we literally become someone else, uh, yes. the protector. And literally. so in, yeah, literally. And so in EBE, by bringing the soulful self of the in-soul mentor, we we undo that and give you an experience of your own soul. Not yeah. tell you what your soul is, but help you to experience it for yourself. That's but that's even possible is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, all through uh, the primacy of emotivity uh, yeah. as being the, the primal, the essential uh, 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 dynamic of human consciousness, emotivity. Without that, that evincing wouldn't have room to breathe because you'll be, you'll be either going to willfulness or thought or energy or behavior instead of emotivity. It's like uh, my experience with you, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, uh, dance of breath. Mm-hmm. I inhale and, and uh, by my own, with my own soulfulness and draw your, um, uh, a soulfulness a little forward, mm-hmm. then I exhale uh, um, and kind of blow wind in the face of the um, the uh, uh, protector self to show the demarcation line <laughs> b- between the two, mm-hmm. and then 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 what you and I can reciprocate here because my my relationship with you has has changed and deepened so much over the years, which is why these podcasts are such a joy to me because. Um, for the younger parts of me that had to just keep unfolding the paradigm without anyone's help yeah. um, uh, all those years, what you do for me that's just as satisfying is you you make me, you, you assure me how sane I was all mm. along when I had nobody in the past yeah. uh, to tell me I was sane. Everyone was telling me I was insane. Mm. And so uh, the even today, anything, all the things that you reframe in ways that I would not have said it that way. Ah, oh, wow, that's it's so satisfying to me, mm-hmm. so soulful. You you give me back to myself effortlessly just by being you. Mm-hmm. And and if, every podcast, my younger self goes, oh, so mm-hmm. he, so I wasn't crazy. Wow, it's an affirmation for me. I I don't need that affirmation technically, but. But oh, does it add to the structural and um, non-structural aspects of my being? It's just so bloody satisfying 
to have to meet someone as gifted as you who can reflect me to me in that without intending to. Uh, well, thanks. So and yeah, I get, of course, I, you know, I didn't build a paradigm uh, like you did, but there's plenty of old insanity that gets yeah. filled in every time we talk. <laughs> like, sure. oh, okay. You know, for me, I just experience it as I'm a weirdo and I don't fit in. And, right. Um, you know, because I right. had some uh, an intuitive sense of a lot of it. Um, yeah. So, and so, yeah, rather than talking about relationality, we're just, we're illustrating it. And so there, yeah. there should be largely a kind of easefulness. I think of, uh, I have an awakened accountant who has this quote on her uh, email that always says, or one of her quotes is like, everything happens, everything in the universe is happening for you. You know, nothing yeah. is happening against you. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's really cute. But if mm -hmm. you can't emotively process the bad things that happen to you, that's not right. experienceable or integratable. <laughs> yeah, it's a great headline. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I like. I like. There's another version of that that I've heard out there recently. Uh, nothing happens to you; everything happens for you. Um, so that's right. a little clearer to me than try uh, to remember that when you're in a knockdown drag out <laughs> fight with your beloved. Yes. The only way to arrive at that is what, what you were talking about that went back to your mother and your relationship yeah. with divinity. That's the right. only way. I mean, sometimes you can do it in more superficial ways, but sure. if you want to be able to actually experience how everything is for you um, yes. in relationality, um, yes. you have to be able to bear the slings and arrows of difficulty and relationality and be able to feel all the difficult feelings that come up. And yeah. to the degree we can't do that, to go all the way back to the top, you yeah. don't know how to relate. And right. I certainly have a shit ton to learn about it. I feel like I'm ready to begin as of about a couple of days ago. Like I, I was, You just <laughs> took the words. I wanted to jump right out of the screen there. That's exactly right. You have an open door for the actual embodiment of the truth yeah. you've been seeking and wanting all your life. It takes uh, years to actually wade through all of the truth of what you don't know, um, yeah. and face the pains of why you don't know. And, and then you, it's like, uh, talked about before, I think in the, um, many Japanese martial arts, you start in negative number ranges. You go from seventh Q to sixth Q to fifth Q. And the first positive number you have, that's black belt. That means you're above water. Yeah. Right, just and above water. Just right? above. You're ready to begin. In <laughs> right, exactly right. In my jujitsu tradition, it means entrance to secrets. Like you're ready to start now. You know the yes. alphabet. You can start forming some words. Um, and so, yeah, it takes many years to undo the false relationality or the better than nothing relationality to be a little kinder with it. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, ready to begin. And that's what well, hopefully those who follow us be able to do it way way faster we think yes yeah but my, my, i'm the slowest uh because i i had to build it uh and make sure it didn't still to this day it doesn't contradict itself in any domain anywhere uh like a good mandala doesn't uh uh, uh contradict itself in its in its expression and its meaning um so uh but yeah uh, I did the least amount of EBE, which is why I'm 72 and finally getting to uh, uh, an almost um, fulsome uh, relationship with myself, with my soul, soul being almost, which means I will be just beginning to learn how to apply it in the human, right? Yeah. And so that it's 40 years, that's a 40 year track 
Joseph will be a 20-some track. Uh, yeah. uh, maybe next generation, it'll be a five-year track. And maybe two generations down, it'll, you can do this in one year. Uh, uh, that is our goal. It will, get, it will keep getting more efficient because the evolution of the zeitgeist of the planet is, is moving it in that direction of less yeah. fat and more directness. Um, so, yeah, maybe that maybe there's another podcast down the line. Uh, there's a, there's a, I think eighteen or nineteen, no, 15, 13 different categories of relational space that we could talk about one day. Subordinate to authority, authority to subordinate, uh, peer oh, to peer. Uh -huh. Those those are really can be interesting um, uh, to do. Uh, that and that takes a long time to talk about all those and the different rules that apply healthy rules, gold rules, the soulful rules that uh, don't happen or happen in these particularly different uh, structural relational spaces. I really, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. I yeah, so maybe in a future both, one. Yeah, I think we're both cooked at the moment. We're about 90 uh, minutes already. Yeah, I'm, uh, my, I'm not al dente anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. All right, Bye, Joseph, thanks, thanks yeah. again for... Uh, co-created feast here yeah so. thank you i'm I, I i look forward to listening to this podcast i think that's gonna be a regular <laughs> well, thing no, that one version weird. of me can listen to a different version of me right and that'll be some sort of interesting moibus strip there you're yeah. listening to um yourself say how you appreciate this yeah <laughs> this. i'm listening to me talking about when i'm going to listen to it yes. and then when i listen to it i'll be listening to the me who's talking about me listening to it <laughs> that's the movie strip that i intuited in there yeah, yeah exactly yeah. oh my god turn my okay. head inside out yeah thank you stace you're welcome you're welcome enjoy as yeah. usual thank you listeners and uh i don't even know what's the next one on our list we should do the teaser i don't even have the file open hold on wait for it we did ah that content-based happiness will never satisfy you so that'll be next time oh that's a juicy one yeah yeah okay and um hmm. please know these are joseph's realizations uh he completely unfolded these and they're so elucidative of of content and context and rich in in um originality and uh, and ability to give people contrary uh, contrary uh, versions of reality that they didn't have before so yeah and i wouldn't i wrote them down i wouldn't say that i 100 percent embody them i was almost going to say this one in particular about happiness i've uh i've gotten more deeply than others i was about to say like this one i really got but no there's still some times where i think yes. like some mint chocolate chip ice cream is going to be able to pull me out of a difficult hour <laughs> or something and that's content-based happiness you know I don't invest in it for very long. <laughs> no, um, no. As long as it's sprinkles and not a, a yeah. feast, you know, then it's yeah. okay. Uh, we're yeah. all human, you know. So. Yeah. But I'm not pursuing, like, I'm not saving up money to buy that boat so I can retire and be happy. <laughs> no, that, that definitely, I don't know if I ever subscribed to that kind of stuff. Um, well, yeah. if, I, if I had gotten uh, seduced by the uh, health, the health career or the musical career, uh, we wouldn't be having this delightfully soulful conversation. Mm. Well, for that, I'm glad. <laughs> All right, listeners, thank you so much. Tune in next time. We'll be talking about, uh, we'll be deconstructing happiness for the 125th time. In case you had any parts of you left, you still wanted to be happy. We'll help you realize why you should give up and why that's a good thing. And uh, we wish yes. you well on your journey. 
Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.